trying to be morally right, like, oh, you know, walking into a sports bar with save the whales sign, like that's that's not gonna work. No matter how right it might be to save the whales or whatever the issue is. But if you can if you can go and talk with folks at the sports bar about the game and then also be like, well, who paid for the stadium over there? And who makes the money off that stadium? And uh, why is, you know, parking gets messed up every week? Hello, and welcome to Art Restart, where we explore how artists are reinventing their fields and building a new landscape for the arts. I'm Pierre-Carlo Talenti, the producer and editor of this podcast, brought to you by the Thomas S. Keenan Institute for the Arts at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. In 2012, theater maker Evan Weissman founded Warm Cookies of the Revolution, a civic health club in Denver, Colorado. What exactly is a civic health club, you may ask? Well, I'm not going to beat Warm Cookies' own description, so here it is. Quote, well, you go to a gym to exercise your physical health, a religious institution to exercise your spiritual health, and a therapist to exercise your mental health. Warm Cookies of the Revolution is where you go to exercise your civic health. Since Warm Cookies' founding, Evan and his team have developed ever more inventive and entertaining ways to introduce citizens to the many ways in which they can participate in and contribute to the civic planning that shapes their communities. Through over 200 unique programs and a jam-packed schedule of ongoing activities, Warm Cookies of the Revolution has convinced thousands of Denver residents to raise their voice on civic issues from neighborhood development to the use of tax dollars, and the needs of aging populations. And all along the way, they've also lived up to their name by treating their community to mountains of cookies and oceans of milk. Evan's work has earned him national and statewide recognition. He has been selected as a Roddenberry Fellow for Innovative Activism, as well as a Livingston Fellow from the Bonfield Stanton Foundation. He has been awarded the Colorado Governor's Award for Creative Leadership, and the Parr Widener Civic Leadership Award from the Denver Foundation, and he served as Denver Commissioner for Cultural Affairs in 2017. Evan spoke to me from his home in Denver. I thought one of the best ways to dive into the work that he and Warm Cookies of the Revolution are doing was to find out how this civic health club continued to tend to its community's civic health during the challenges of the last couple of years. What we learned... I'll give examples. Right when the pandemic started, there were two things that we did that shifted right away. One was pretty much everyone I know lost most of their work, whether these are performing artists or people who work in service industries. And so we wanted to get people paid to do what it is that they do, because there was a lot of talk of like, oh, we should get artists to uh, you know, help with something COVID related, which is fine but it's not quite the same. So we we wanted to get folks paid to make art. And then we wanted to respond to and document what was going on. So we made this digital gift basket. What we learned from that was you actually can get a lot of people to see things. Maybe even like it can, it can travel pretty far. We've always at Warm Cookies, it's all about local and live and in-person and you got to show up. And a lot of times that means we need to go to where people are. But we pushed aside, not in any smart way, but we've just, we haven't done a lot of um, video or online things. So that was helpful to know, like, we can still reach people. And so we had some just really incredible artists making 
beautiful things and and we packaged it up so that it was truly like here pass this gift basket on to anyone you think you might want to see it so, so that was sort of that was a positive so somebody could have gifted me a digital gift basket and i opened it and give me examples of what what i would find yeah it was it was about an hour long and so you wow. could watch it when you wanted but it was um you would see some performance art you would see you know funny silly little tiny you know 7 second clips you would see examples of people making the art they do printmaking you would see people talking about particular types of dance that they do you know from their culture you would see a recipe for for baking so all these different all these different things that were what people were doing some of it very specifically addressed what was going on exactly at the time about there's a, a beautiful little poem in the beginning from Bobby Lefebvre of looking at what six feet meant. And he's in a mask and um, he kind of, he sort of builds a six foot cage around himself almost. Uh, some were absolutely just silly, dumb. Uh, there was a, uh, from my, my, my folks from my former life at, at Buntport Theater, they made a, uh, it's basically a narration that you're listening to. And then you're watching someone in a sped up version, make a really bad Photoshop collage <laughs> so that was just you know something fun and silly and you were able to pay all the artists for their participation yes we reached out super quick to some local foundations and, and a, actually a national foundation too and let them know what was going on and they all responded so quick so that was great so we paid people well for for this so that was i mean that was a lesson as well that people want to help and people knew the importance of of having art and having some levity in the midst of a, that was a weird, weird time. So that, that was like, that was the first thing. And we, you know, we could talk more about the gift basket because I think there were some interesting things there. But the, the second thing that I think applies is we were planning on um, doing what was going to be a, a census carnival. Um, and this was based on something that we've done for years, which is a tax day carnival. So this is taking the national day of mourning, which is tax day, and saying, all right, well, this should be, you know, this should be a celebration, regardless of your opinion on it. If you hate taxes, fine, come in and celebrate it, you know, like, hey, great, we don't want to fund anything. And if you're sort of a proud to pay, you know, moderate Democrat who's like, I, I enjoy this, I like paying for these things. So anyways, we've done that for a long time. And, and it's actually a carnival with jugglers and ice sculptors and carny freaks and and games. And we we work with the, with all the tax people to create carnival games that people come and play and learn something. So anyways, we were going to do that with this, uh, the census. We were approached by some folks to help them engage with some very specific communities in some of the immigrant and mostly in the refugee populations. Our idea was to do this carnival where, where we had artists from all these different communities performing. And, and so what we had to do to shift was we made it online, or, you know, we made videos of it. And so, but what was beautiful was we had all these different artists perform in whatever their medium was, and then speak in their language to their folks to dispel, you know, right at the end, to just say, here are the myths of filling out the census, and here's why it's important. And then, you know, these were short little performances, and then we grouped them all together. So, you know, anyone could see but I think that taught us as well, um, again, that, that was the same lesson of, yeah, this is just another way of doing it. And, you know, you have to figure it out. The challenges were, you know, a lot of people are used to seeing us more often. 
and seeing each other more often. And I don't think there is a substitution for being live with, with other humans when you're working for something. There's something about spontaneity and, and um, like you can do a lot online. It's, it is a beautiful thing, but it's not the same. Can you talk about what in your theater background made your creation of Warm Cookies of the Revolution possible and which of your theater skills you regularly use? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I learned I learned everything from my my partners over there at Bunport. They're some of the most creative people I, that I know. So I definitely a, a lens of making a lot with a little sort of making making t- you know huge worlds come alive in tiny spaces with with miniatures or puppets or whatever we're given so i think that that idea of obstructions being those springboards i think ha- is we did that very purposefully at at buntport when making shows we would often just start with that sometimes it was because someone donated a, a van to us or some fake synthetic ice and so we made we made a show that took place all in a van or or we made a show called Kafka on Ice because we thought who would hate to be in an ice capade so um probably Franz Kafka so so that idea or we also put these limitations on ourselves to create things that might be like all right this next show we're going to make and it has to be travelable you know it has to be able to fit in the back of a car um so that we could take those places so anyways that that's so interesting because yeah, I always think of theater as keeping dramatic tension on stage, but actually uh, there's a kind of tension that was built into your whole creation process from the start. Yeah, yeah. I think also the style of theater that we do, I mean, you, <laughs> like you haven't met more like untheatery people. <laughs> like we almost never is there a fourth wall, but we do not touch the audience. We do not, um, like there's sort of more avant-garde experimental theater, I think you might call it, which is, which is really cool stuff, but it's not, we, we're not going to hold up a mirror and throw mustard on you and, you know, this kind of thing. We just sort of acknowledge that's always been the vibe is like, Hey, you're sitting there and I'm up here performing. Let's begin. I'm going to tell you a story, so to speak. And I think that that also, that'd probably be the second thing, is acknowledging the situation we're in. So for the first thing about the resources, I think that I made the link because the other part of my background is just I've been involved. I'm, I come from sort of lefty activism world. So the two the two were tandem, the theater and the activism? Um, yeah. Throughout. I mean, the okay. theater was my became my job. You know, we we started it and then quickly it took off and it became our full-time jobs. Whereas I've never gotten paid for activism, but, but yes, both of those things were just, those were things that I did and separate. I I never was like, I want to make puppets for street theater, you know, or for, for activism. And often, not always, but often the shows we made though had a moral grounding or, you know, something we wanted to say, they often were, just interesting or funny or so those two things were actually quite separate in my life. And I think part of wanting to start warm cookies was bridging that a little bit, but I also saw the connections because if you're pushing for something, there are always going to be limitations and you have to respond to them. A budget gets cut, you know, in this, in the city, a law changes. There's an infiltrator in your, in your movement. There are 
setbacks after setback after setback and how you respond to it is kind of going to be the test of if if you're serious or not i think those connections i saw real clearly with folks in my community just feeling like well if we're dealing with an infrastructure challenge or housing needs or whatever the issue might be just the legacy of racism or you know unjust immigration laws those barriers are going to come over and over and over and over again how do how are we getting past them or or you know around them or through them or smash them or jump dig a hole under them. So that was happening. But I think I did. I think I wanted to merge, somehow merge the two. And I think truly it was, I wanted to win. <laughs> like I was sick of being, you know, I, I've been to a lot of protests where it's just a couple of us and we believe we're in the right, but it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem to matter. And I do believe pretty firmly that the most important question to ask is, is this right? Am I doing the right thing? And if that means you're the only person out there, well, then that's fine. But then the second question should be, how can I be most effective? I think when you when you flip those, that leads to people collapsing a lot more or, or being satisfied with, with what's possible as opposed to you know what it is that we really want. But I would say that we hadn't focused enough on the effectiveness. And so I wanted to win. And if I'm being completely honest, I think the... I, I like sports and I always have, and you don't, you're not supposed to say that in lefty circles and not even that much in art artistic circles. Like those things are kind of different, you know, but, but it's just true. And, and I would see at the bar, like at sports bars, the most passionate and fact-based conversations I would ever see would be a couple of dudes talking about, you know, what some coach just did. And so I just thought like, man, these are and really a deep, smart. a deep historical knowledge also. Exactly. Right? So, mm-hmm. And time. I mean, people who play fantasy football, like it, it, it is a lot of time and energy and effort. And I think that that's what I ultimately understood and wanted to, to do was like, all right, look, this is what people do. You know, the competition for your time is Netflix, shopping, sports, music, church, you know, these big things that people who have very limited money and limited time, after they take care of the necessary stuff, that's what they spend their time and money on. And so instead of pushing that away and trying to be morally right, like, oh, you know, walking into a sports bar, save the whales sign, like that's that's not going to work, no matter how right it might be to save the whales or whatever the issue is. But if you can, if you can go and talk with folks at the sports bar, about the game and then also be like well, who paid for the stadium over there and who makes the money off that stadium and uh why is you know parking gets messed up so actually week? since you brought it up let's talk about wins can you name some wins you think you've had yeah i i think um i would say win i would put wins in a couple departments mm-hmm. so there's specific tangible wins then there's sort of cultural shifts and i don't know sometimes one is more than the other but Specific. Let's talk specific tangible wins. We pushed for about four years. We worked. This was a really fun, interesting project with different residents. It, the The project was called "This Machine Has a Soul," and the ultimate goal was to push the city of Denver to adopt participatory budgeting. The most boring sounding name you can ever <laughs> imagine. Um, I just fell asleep right there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like I'm sorry. What? Okay. I'm gonna going to head over this way. Yeah. It's ultimately what participatory budgeting is, is neighborhoods deciding parts of the city budget and not, not putting your input in, not 
writing something on a sticky note and seeing what happens, but actually deciding. So it's it's a pretty revolutionary thing. So we used art in service of this, and we made some really cool, interesting, weird stuff, including so so it basically happened through. Um, your first introduction to it, like you just live where you live, you might have a neighbor come up and, and say, hey, come to this meeting. It's on this thing for this issue. And maybe in the flyering that you saw, you know, it looked kind of interesting. Then you show up. And the first thing that you do is we built these machines, these two different machines. One of them is essentially a Rube Goldberg machine, you know, where the chicken lays the egg and the egg hits this and the dominoes and blah, blah, blah. So we would have a magician or a poet or someone facilitating. And, and they essentially would say, all right, here's this coin. Everyone in the room right now, if I gave you a million dollars, what would you spend it on? And they talk and then they say, okay, it's for housing, for the homeless, whatever it was. And they say, okay, put, thank you. Put your coin in the, in the machine. And then you see this machine, ding dong, doom, 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 all this stuff. And out prints, out of a printer, something and usually the way we do it is on the city of denver letterhead and it would say thank you for your comments and concerns and then you think okay (laughs) because that's how most community engagement efforts happen like most places that 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 rings true and then we had a second machine that expressed what participatory budgeting would be like or exemplified so you had to get in and figure it out. You got to choose. There were sort of exciting paths. You needed some outside help. There were times when one person couldn't do it. You know, it's kind of like those puzzle puzzle rooms. There was it was based on that. But so there's a key. You need two keys, and one person can't reach. So you need someone else to help. So it was fun. It was hard. It was engaging, and you were in control of the process. And so that was then someone's introduction. Then you're like, okay, now we're going to train you on what this whole process is and that you always had these two sort of metaphors to go back to. And then there's a lot to this. So then I'll just say the other major part of it was we built an installation in a two-story garage in one of the neighborhoods where, where we were that was very funky. It was essentially, we had Hot Wheels tracks that ran throughout. So it looked like a person lived there and the major issues in this neighborhood are that the uh, major I-70 highway was being expanded and it runs through the middle of this neighborhood. And so we had this sort of highway running throughout. And then we had uh, just all sorts of artists and and interesting things um, to engage people. But to the win is it worked. We pushed and pushed and a city council and administration that was firmly against it. And then finally, this year, um, it is being implemented, and we have residents and organizers who are helping to run actually the community engagement for it. So it was one point seven million dollars, which is nice, but not not giant. And this is the the, the first one, and then it was approved for next year's budget as well. Um, and so the that's first, a big the, win. The the first what? I don't think I. Oh, I'm sorry. The first uh, participatory budgeting process. Oh, the first. Uh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So the city right. of Denver oh. is saying like we are taking public money because what we did, we had people do it, and we had some private money from a grant award that we let people spend it on, but it was much smaller. Now this is the city saying here is a percentage of our budget that we are going to allocate to this and residents are going to decide where this money is uh, needed. And ours was the first arts-based participatory budgeting project anywhere. 
And it's something that's taking off in other places. Paris, France, 5% of their entire budget is done with participatory budgeting, which is a lot of money. So that's a win. I know that was long-winded, but that is a that that was a true win. And I should also say the other win about it was who took part. Because all of these community engagement efforts, the whole point of what we do is, is to try to not get the usual suspects there. And so our two processes that we ran overrepresented every historically marginalized group racially, ethnically, um, and and income level. So we had we had poorer folks and we had younger folks and we had folks from black community, the Latinx community, Asian American community overrepresented. And that was really intentional and important. So that's a clear that was art in the service of a policy change and it and we won. So that that's great. That's a beautiful feeling. That is feeling. great. That is beautiful. A, a lot of the things that we do, I'll be honest, are, you know, like the census thing I mentioned to you, we, you know, we helped raise the rates of, of the census, uh, of people who, um, who, who filled out the census. And that, the response rate, that was the goal, and that's good, and that's neat. But I think that for a lot of the things that, that we deal with creatively, I don't know how well you measure them. Because we deal with things like, what does it mean to be friends with friendless people or people who feel that way? What, is it, what does it mean to talk about forgiveness and how does that show up in our civic life? How do we welcome not just prisoners back into the community, but specifically folks that have been labeled the worst thing you can, which is a, a sex offender? What does that look like? Because most people who go to prison are, are coming back out. And the policies that we have for a lot of folks are working in the opposite way that we want them to. Basically, we want you, everyone wants a safe community. And if you say the word sex offender, that is extremely scary to many people. So we want things to be safe. But we have policies in place in a lot of areas that do the opposite. As you survey the coming 12 months, what projects are you most looking forward to? Oh yeah, got a, a bunch actually coming up. I'm most looking forward to we're going to be doing something around living eulogies for a community. So this idea of, you know, if I ask you, "Hey, eulogize someone in your life." And then if I said, you know, "Well, eulogize a, a park or a rec center near your life or a, a, an aspect of your community." And then you so you do it and you think about, "Okay, if this person were dead or this tree were dead or whatever it is, um, and then reflect on, well, it's not yet. It's not dead yet. Like, how would that change your relationship to it? So I think it'll be interesting. I don't know what form this is going to be taking at all, but but we're going to be doing something. I think in changing communities, which they always are, but especially in a lot of urban environments dealing with, with displacement and gentrification, I think it's an important thing to think about. So I'm excited to see what comes of that. We're also going to dig in. I don't even know if this will become a project, but we're going to be talking with people throughout the community about coming of age ceremonies. Just what is it that we that exist? We kind of know bar mitzvahs and quinceañeras, but uh, what exists um, in our community? Because my hunch is that for a lot of people, there is nothing. And in the absence of nothing, like what is it that marks when youth become adults? And is that the way that we want it to be? If you'd like to learn more about Evan and read a longer version of this interview, please visit uncsa.edu slash artrestart. 
Now, we've been careful to bring you interviews not only with artist changemakers who work in our major metropolises, but also those who are making a difference in smaller communities all over the country, from Haines, Alaska and Utica, Mississippi to Tucson, Arizona and Louisville, Kentucky. If you live in a smaller community and know of an artist shaking up the status quo where you are, or if you yourself are such an artist, won't you let me know? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at PC Talenti. Or just say hi. I'd love to hear your thoughts on our interviews. As always, we really appreciate any ratings or reviews you can leave us wherever you get your podcasts, because those are crucial for us to reach new listeners. Our theme music is by Shanghai Restoration Project. I'm Pierre-Carlo Talenti, and on behalf of the Keenan Institute for the Arts, thank you for listening. <laughs>